Welcome to The Rock Podcast. While the book of Acts ends on a note of triumph, we still see the cost of what it means to live as a Christian and bear witness to the truth. Let's listen now as Pastor Ross concludes our study of Acts with the message entitled, Bold and Without Hindrance. Alrighty, let's get started. We are finishing the entire book of uh, Acts today. Uh, with the closing uh, paragraphs that we left off at last week. And so it's kind of bittersweet to go through a book like that. It's cool to make progress, but you also feel like, oh, the book of Acts, uh, you know, what a, what a rich uh, experience it has been. So let's ask the Lord's blessing and thank him. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the lessons that we have learned through the Record of the acts of the Holy Spirit, uh, the first 30 years of Christianity and all your servants and how you worked in them and through them. And we, we have been so enriched and so blessed. And now in these closing paragraphs, Lord, we, we just pray that we would take to heart the, the kind of intense um, ending. And, and uh, you have a lot to say to us this morning. We we ask your blessing now in Christ's name. Amen. Well, you can finish the next line of this song for me, okay? Ready? Through many dangers, toils, and snares. I have already Really? Seriously? Maybe you guys have an easier life. All right, let's try it again. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. That's 8.30, I know, it's all right. Uh, A line from the best loved, most well-known, I thought, uh, hymn of all time that we love to sing. And nobody could have sung that with with more heart and genuine um, sincerity than the Apostle Paul. He was around 30 when all his troubles began because that's when he came to know Jesus and became a very zealous, um, very preacher, vocal Christian. And you know how that goes. Uh, Some things have not changed in 2,000 years. It's always getting him into a lot of trouble. So he was evangelizing the world, planting churches, and sharing the good news of Jesus when all those dangerous toils and snares came upon him. Now, we, we've seen some of that, you know, but uh, he, he mentions some of those dangerous toils and snares to the Corinthians in his second correspondence to them, frequently in prison, severely flogged five times, 39 lashes, exposed to death again and again, Beaten with rods. It's a Roman punishment. No fun. Uh, Once they tried to stone him to death. Three times shipwrecked. This was 10 years before the shipwreck we just went through. So four times shipwrecked. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from robbers, in danger from my own family, in danger from strangers, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at the, in the sea, at, in danger from false Christians. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and without any clothes. Now, I'm not sure that the bestseller, Your Best Life Now, would really be of much, sorry, <laughs> much help to him. It just wouldn't work. If your book wouldn't work for the Apostle Paul, I, I, I personally have a problem with it. But anyway, that aside, uh, many dangerous toils and snares he has already come through. And now as we come to the close of the book of Acts, uh, we are going to see the close of the, uh, the Apostle's ministry and 
uh, his life. But Acts is not just about the dangerous toils and snares of bringing a gospel to a Christ-rejecting world. It's also about the next couple lines. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. If it's anything we've learned through 28 chapters of the book of Acts, it's that the grace of God is more than sufficient and the people of God are more than conquerors. And so, uh, as we'll see, Acts ends on a note of triumph, but also with a note of regret for those who reject uh, the, the grace of God. And so the gospel kind of is a bittersweet message, isn't it? I mean, salvation for all, but not everybody is interested in coming to know the Lord. And so there's always that. And you can't remove that from it. It just is. It's really good news for us and not so good news for those who don't want to be um, in relationship with the Lord. And so uh, let me catch you up to where we dive off now because we're right at the end and things have been happening. Here's how it's been wrapping up. Paul's been a prisoner for two years now for the gospel. He was mobbed in Jerusalem two years prior uh, by haters of the gospel, haters of Jesus, and they just falsely charged him, and he's been in chains ever since. So it's the state of Israel versus the apostle Paul, and his accusers are the Jewish leaders there at Jerusalem. Uh, They're accusing him of causing riots and being a troublemaker and all of that. Well, during those two years he was in prison there in Israel, he just saw where it was going, and he appealed his case to Rome and to the Caesar. And so to Rome he has gone. The ship uh, has come through a fierce hurricane, uh, another shipwreck. Uh, Paul has been bitten by a venomous snake, and uh, yet the ship now has docked in Italy three months uh, after there. Uh, Paul was given a hero's welcome there on his way in. So they dock it in Italy, and he's got a five-day walk with everybody up to Rome. And the Christian congregations, two of them, came out to welcome him as a hero and escort him back into the city of Rome where, where Paul gave thanks to God for that kind of encouragement. And now Paul has been handed over to the Roman authorities. That's the last thing we heard was he's there. He was welcomed by the Christians. He's still in chains. And Julius, the centurion in charge of Paul, handed him over to the, to the Roman authorities in Rome. Verse 17. Now, three days later, he called together the leaders of the Jews When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I wasn't guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar (laughs) Not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. For this reason, I've asked to see you and to talk with you. It's because of the hope of Israel that I'm bound with this chain. They replied, we have not received any letters from Judea concerning you. And none of the brothers who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are. For we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. You know what this sect is, right? <laughs> That's called Christianity, right? And so let's pause there. Now, the story of Acts closes out with two meetings, and they will be our two points, okay? Our two talking points. Uh, the first meeting is to explain Paul's circumstances. So he reaches out to the Jewish community and he wants to get to know them and explain why he's there, what's up. 
uh, especially before the rumor mill gets to them. These are are unbelieving Jews. They don't know the Messiah. Paul is a Jew as well, but he's a Christian Jew, all right? The second meeting, and we'll get to that next, is to, to preach the gospel because they're interested in hearing his views. And so Paul is going to take advantage of that open door and preach. So the first one, the first meeting is right here. And if you're taking notes, I'm going to, the spiritual application for the first meeting, I would say, is the gospel has a cost. The gospel always has a cost. So what's going on in these couple meetings? Pretty important stuff, because like I said, the gospel's the gospel, the world's the world, and not much has changed. Uh, uh, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so these truths are not just like a history lesson. It's like, well, you're reading history, but it's like, wow, I mean, just yesterday, this very thing has happened uh, to me. And so we're paying uh, close attention. So meeting number one, the gospel has a cost. Now, uh, he has to explain why he's suffering chained (laughs) and what he's been through uh, the last two years plus because of his faith. Now, First thing he does, he gets a rented house, rented house. And uh, because he's a Roman citizen, he has rights, and he's not convicted of a crime. He's just appealing his case so he can live in a rented house by himself, chained to his new BFF, his new best friend, a Roman guard. <laughs> All right? And, and, but, but that's a pretty good deal. It's a pretty good deal. And he's going to take advantage of that now. <laughs> 72 hours. That's all it takes. Um, I'd like to have some friends over. I'd like to uh, invite all the Jewish leaders. Now, there were 20 to 50,000 Jews in Rome at the time, a million uh, total people in Rome. But of that, um, what would that be? About 5% tops were Jews. And so Paul summoned the leaders to come meet him. I mean, this guy has a heart for the Jews. His homies, their language, they share everything except Jesus. And so he's throughout his entire life, through the whole book of Acts, all we do is see him going to the synagogue, go to the synagogue, go to the synagogue, and then a few would get saved. And then there'd be all hell would break loose. And then he'd say, hey, fine, I'm not, going to be a part of this anymore. I'm going to the Gentiles. The word Gentile just means nations. I'm going to non-Jews now, right? And so now he always says, I'm done with you guys. I'm just going to go to the Gentiles. And here he is with the Gentiles, 72 hours later. He's sending out invitations to all the Jewish leaders who have now assembled at his place. Oh, who's paying the rent, by the way? I'm glad you asked that. You know who's paying the rent? The Philippians. The Philippians are sending, and he's just about to sit down and write a four-chapter thank you letter to them for sending support to pay his rent. Isn't that nice of them? And he tells them, hey, you guys are the only church that does that for me. No, No other churches do that for me. Just you. You know, it was Lydia, the seller of purple cloth by the riverbank there, that the, Paul came up to her and started talking, and the Lord opened her heart to receive the gospel. Lydia was a woman of means, and she never forgot the apostle Paul. The jailer, how could the jailer forget? The jailer, the whole jail rocked with an earthquake. The chains fell off Paul and Silas, and bam, an, an earthquake, and he's the guy who comes trembling, uh, what must I do to be saved? And him and his whole family got saved and baptized, and he's sending money. He's sending money so that Paul can sit in that house and write Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. They're called the prison epistles. Yeah, Romans 8:28. God causes all things to work together for good, and part of the good was that we're going to get four epistles out of this two-year time in this rental. Now, here are are these guys, all right? 
They're there. He's got a tremendous burden. You know, Christians just need burdens for the lost. I mean, he just, Paul, I I mean, he's setting up the, the Paul the Apostle World Center for Evangelism. From where? From prison. <laughs> How do you do that? It may turn your prison into a ministry. What a concept. Turn your prison into a ministry center. It was Paul who penned the words under the Holy Spirit. Make the most of every opportunity. Here you have him here now. Now, it's very important to see, uh, to pay attention to his tone and content of how he tells the Jews who don't know a thing about why he's there. He wants to reach them, right? Now listen to his tone and content after what the Jews have put him through. They put him through hell. They want to kill him. They're corrupt. They're haters. They're hypocrites. They're evil. And just listen to his tone. To Jews who, who sort of respect those leaders back in Jerusalem. So listen to how he, he says, hey, guys, thanks for coming. Hey, listen, I just want you to know, you know, you see the chain. <laughs> listen, I'm a good Jew. Uh, I love our people. I love Israel. And check this out. Why is he saying that? He's saying, I've appealed to Rome, but I'm not bringing a charge against Israel or our people. And he, and he makes a case for that. He wants them to know, I got nothing against Israel or the Jews that put me here. So you're appealing to Caesar because the Jews have missed? No, 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 no. I'm appealing for my own innocence and the gospel. So he just wants to know, he wants them to know rather, that he's not, he doesn't have a bone to pick with those he should have a bone to pick with. He just is very gracious. So he says, I've committed no crime. I'm just paraphrasing 17 through 20. The Roman court agreed with me, wanted to release me. But the Jews kept pressing. So it was kind of forced to appeal. And here I am in Rome. And actually, you see this chain, brothers? I'm, I'm chained up because I believe in the Bible. You know the Jews called their scriptures the Bible. I believe in our Bible. I believe in God and there's a hope. In my heart. And that's why I've called you. To talk to you about that hope. That's what it says. Now. Very gracious. Oh he's left out everything. Can you find one slanderous. Harsh word. About what he's been through. Not one. Why? Because. What does it say? Uh, Flies are more attracted by. Honey than vinegar. All right, A sweet spirit. From a merciful heart, a gracious heart, is attractive more than a sour attitude from a bitter person. Uh, uh, One person put it this way. It's easier to win people over in a dispute with gracious words rather than trying to make them hate your opponent with harsh accusations and one-sided stories about them, which inevitably gives your listener cause to suspect both your motives and the accuracy of your version of the story. But we're all so guilty of that, you know. And so he didn't, he's not going to play that game. And what happened is, is that it ingratiated him to them because they still are under the authority of those leaders. So he, he didn't take them apart. And so... Uh, I was really uh, struck by that. I, I find that a lot of people take that, um, a lot of Christians who get wind up in trouble uh, take that same tack, is that, hey, I, I love people, <laughs> I'm in trouble here, but I, I, I love all people. I love gay people, I love straight people, I love Muslims, I love Hindus. Uh, but, I also love the Bible, and I'm in trouble here because I stand for the Bible and the truth in the Bible. But you hear that kind of rhetoric over and over again, and I think it's pretty easy uh, to see that that's the way to go. So we see that there's a cost to stand for truth because he suffered in a world that doesn't value it. There's a cost to, 
to share that hope with a world that's not interested. People losing their jobs and relationships, the family gets divided, loss of income, ruined reputations, loss of freedom, loss of opportunities, uh, being mocked, and loss of life. So Paul uh, loses uh, his freedom, and there are losses. We have losses. Paul's defense is our defense. We don't hate anybody. We, we've done nothing wrong. I'm in trouble because I believe the Bible, and I'm trying to share the hope that we have in Jesus. It's just a pattern here. Um, I like what John 15 uh, has, uh, John, uh, what, what John wrote in chapter 15, if the world hates you, uh, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you, love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you as well. So stop taking things personally. Uh, like the Apostle Paul, he just knows, I don't fit here. It's a message that I stand for. Doesn't Isn't the message they want to hear uh, because it's his message. It's not something I came up with. And so when I am persecuted because of the message that doesn't come from me, then I know that it's not about me. It's about the Lord. And so um, he just has resigned himself to be gracious now. now, And it's worked. So moving on, Paul was hoping to get the Jewish community uh, there and assembled before the rumor mill got to him, and it looks like it succeeded. Verse 21 says, hmm, uh, this is all news to us. None of the brothers have come. Uh, we haven't heard anything about you. Wow, that's interesting. Now, perhaps the three months of no sailing, they're just coming out of winter, so perhaps the Jews have been delayed, or perhaps they just gave up. They pretty much know they don't have a case because they've lost, they lost in Caesarea, right? So they're probably out of sight, out of mind. He's in Rome, let him go, right? Probably. So nobody's gotten there yet. But here's the verse I love, and I smile every time I read it. But we'd love to hear your views. <laughs> because everybody, hey, we haven't heard about you, but everybody's heard about this cult, that Jesus cult, the sect called the way. Oh, everybody's talking about that. And Paul's like, yeah, <laughs> they are because I've evangelized the world. <laughs> he didn't say that, but he is the one that really spearheaded that. They say everybody's bad mouthing this cult, but we'd love to hear your views about Christianity. Now I can just see Paul's look on his face like, great. I think we can accommodate that. You know, let's set a time and we'll get together. I mean, part of me is like, it, you know, can I imagine them saying, hey, Paul, we, you're a Jew? You're, you're a former Pharisee. We'd, we'd love to have a Jewish scholar's take on Christianity. And I can just hear him say, you would? I would be surprised. I remember one time I was handing out tracts on the sidewalk somewhere in San Francisco. And there were a couple guys standing there. And one guy says, hey, come over here. You want to tell me about Jesus, right? And I said, yeah, that's what we're here for. He goes, yeah, I'm not a believer. I said, yeah. He goes, you know what? I'm going to sit down on the step, and I'm going to give you 10 minutes I want you to just give me the best shot you have. Just I'm going to give you 10 minutes with an open mind. Go. I was like, really? (laughs) This is so awesome. I took it and, you know, I never finished my stories. Everyone's always emailing, what happened with that guy? You know, uh, yeah, and I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) So email me and I'll tell you. All right. Not much. You know, you give them the 10 minutes and then they're like, well, I just don't believe, or whatever he said. But it, I don't remember anything positive, except I got 10 minutes to share the gospel. 
Uh, now, what I want to say is, is that do you think he would have gotten all those leaders who will bring hundreds of Jews in the next meeting to come had he done something like, listen, guys, let me tell you about those, those dirty lion dogs down there in Jerusalem. They set me up. They're hypocrites. Unbelievable. They try to kill me. They're trying to kill me. They're the people of God. They're evil, wicked, self-absorbed men who are hypocrites. That's why I'm in these chains. I'm innocent, I tell you. Everything I just said was true. Do you think they would have had a meeting? No way. No way. Self-control, graciousness, forgiveness, sweet spirit. He knows what he's doing. He's so smart. He's so wise. Because all he's thinking is, how am I going to, to tread lightly here enough to tell them the story without making a big mess of everything and stirring them all up so they'll never come back again. He doesn't lie. He just tells them nice, nice and honestly what's going on. All right, it's time to move on. Second meeting. Verse 23, they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. <laughs> the prison, the prison house. They're coming to him. Just amazing. From morning till evening, he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law and from the prophets. In other words, using the Old Testament, showing Jesus in those pages. Uh, 24, some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement, the Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said through, the, through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will ever be hearing, but never understanding. You will, er, you will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused they hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation, you guys, has been sent to the Gentiles and they're going to listen. Oy vey. Let's stop there. Second meeting, number two. Uh, the gospel has a purpose, all right? The gospel has a purpose, and that purpose is to polarize. The gospel always comes, and like one writer said, John Phillips, from his commentary on Acts, uh, page 525, whenever the gospel is preached, the Holy Spirit drives his plowshare through the audience. Some believe, some do not. There's a great, Divide fixed. Always. You know, it's sheep to the right, goats to the left. It's the wheat that goes into the barn and the weeds to the bundles, to the piles. The good fish are kept in the nets. The bad fish are trashed. This is the gospel. It comes as good news for sinners who wish to repent and live forever and have their sins washed away. But if you don't, well, then it's bad news because the divide happens and you go to the left and the rest of the believers go to the right, as it were, just picking a direction there. Now, uh, Jesus says in Matthew 10, and I think I have that for you, do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. We've seen this scripture a lot. For I have come to turn a man against his father, daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Man's enemies will be the members of his own house. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who doesn't pick up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. So he says, listen, don't get the wrong idea. It's not peace at any cost. It's peace 
by the cross or there's no peace. So he says, from now on, because of me, the gospel gets preached and three will be on this side of the kitchen table and two on this side of the kitchen table. Two will think the other three are crazy and the other three will think the other two are lost. That's the way it's going to be, he said. Don't try to fix that because you'll change the gospel. The purpose of the gospel, Jesus said, this is the purpose. Not to love everybody, make everybody happy. To coexist. That's not the, he says, I've come to divide. And people are going to be mad at each other. A person's enemies will be their own brother and sister. Oh, that Jesus freak, everything. God, God, God. Can't even get a word in edgewise without a Bible verse. Mr. Holy Roller, you know, whatever they want to call us, right? Jesus said, hey, that's the way it is. I'm sorry. And if you're not going to serve me because of your mommy, my, my daddy, my daddy can't tolerate that, or your child. You love them more than me and you won't follow me because of that. That's what the verse just said. Then you're not worthy of me. You can't put another human being before the God who made you. He says, I've got the trump card on being able to call you into a relationship with me. And no one else, no one else, not your wife, your husband, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your son, your daughter, can get in the way of that. That's the way it is. And so, when am I making such a big deal about this for? Because the crux of the matter is some believe, but check this out. Some in the Greek refuse to be convinced. They, they choose not to believe. They just don't not believe And this is a biblical point that I want to press home to you because a lot of people don't understand this. Biblically, unbelief is never about not having enough information or struggling with doubting, never. Biblical unbelief is that the Holy Spirit has come and brought truth and they've resisted the truth that they're hearing. It's a choice to say now it can come in increments so all all this verse is saying is is that when you start to hear truth you're either accepting it and enlarging for it with it or you're resisting and pushing against it and the more you open up to the truth the more truth you get until you reach a place where you're convinced but if you're hearing truth and you know it's truth, and you stop, you choose to say, I know it's true, for whatever reason, I do want to hear this. And you choose to not be convinced by the truth. That is why unbelievers are are culpable. That is why they're responsible. Because it's not, oh, poor unbeliever, they don't have enough information, and they just don't believe because they're too scientific or whatever. No, 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 no. That's not biblical. The biblical idea is that the Holy Spirit of God has talked to their hearts and to some degree, and they have said, no, I'm choosing my unbelief. I refuse to hear any more of that truth. And you can see it happen. I see this happen all the time. I had a conversation with a guy. This is uh, for 35 years I've seen this. And I'm picking on this one guy. Oh, if someone could just explain this one thing to me. I said, give it to me. The Holy Spirit gave me the the thing. Bam, I had it right there. And he got the nervous giggles. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I go now. (laughs) He goes, I still don't believe. Yeah, of course you don't. Because it wasn't about that. It wasn't about that, you see. I saw the look like, ugh. I get truth registered, and then truth was denied. That's what Paul's saying. Some refuse to believe. You know, sometimes we just have sympathy. Oh, it's just, you know, the way it is. Some believe, some don't. Romans chapter 1 says there's no such thing as an atheist. This is a hard one. Romans chapter 1 says, God has made it known 
to everyone by creation, by conscience, by the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter one, every human being at some level knows. And it says God has made it clear to them. Romans chapter one, read it for yourself. Therefore, you do not have an atheist. Well, yes, you do, because the true word, a against theist God, against God, that's what you have. You don't have someone who just doesn't believe. You have someone who knows the truth, doesn't want the truth, and is against God. That is why and what explains Paul's now, they're leaving, going, right? So Paul is going to, I kind of let him have it with this prophecy. Well, let's talk about what he does in the strategy. So here's what he does. It doesn't take very much digging around now that they're getting ready for the, let's call it a conference, okay? Uh, I've named the conference, um, let me see here. Um, The conference shall be called Christianity and the Jew and You. (laughs) What do you think? I'd love to go. Hosted by uh, scholar, celebrity, Apostle Paul, former Pharisee. Uh, That's a conference I'd like to go. Here's two. This is what he does. It says in your text, Paul uses the Old Testament to convince them that Jesus is the Messiah. Morning, noon, and night. So there were three sessions. In the morning session, here's what I picture. The morning session, he starts Jesus in Genesis. All right, let's just start at the beginning. And he may talk about the word of God that was God and was with God. And God is speaking. Well, that word, that spoken word, my brothers, is Jesus creating by all things. God created through Jesus. All right, and then he moves to Genesis where where God says the virgin birth in the garden. He says to the enemy, hey, this woman and her seed, her seed is going to come through a woman without a father. It's the woman's seed is going to crush Satan's head. The Messiah is not going to have a father. Gentlemen, brother Jews, Genesis 3.15, you got Jesus is the seed of the woman. Uh, Turn with me to, to Genesis 22. Abraham takes his only son and the only son walks up the hill carrying his own wood without saying a word and he lays down willingly the father's only son on the hill and gentlemen, you know where that hill is. It's Mount Moriah, which is another word for Calvary. It's the same hill. Gentlemen, brothers, Abraham, Isaac on a hill which was Calvary. You can go to the place and see it. It's only been 25 years. Well, then it was time for a break. (laughs) And it was the afternoon session called Types of Christs in the Old Testament. So the first he said, let me me show you Jesus in the Passover, guys. Oh, we got a Passover. He says... (laughs) The blood of the lamb on the doorpost. Death comes, passes over. Jesus, my brothers, died on Passover. He's the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's Jesus. That's who we're talking about. The Messiah said he'd have to suffer for our sins. Isaiah 53. All right. He says, next picture. He says, the rock that Moses struck was commanded by God in the middle of nowhere in the desert to bring waters of life in John chapter 4, my Jewish brothers. Jesus says, I am the waters of life. Anybody who drinks of the water I give will never be thirsty again. The rock was Jesus. He was struck. And when they struck him, water came out of his side. It was fulfilled Physically and spiritually. My brothers, the rock was Jesus. And he says, I got another one. He says, the manna from heaven. 
in, where was that? Exodus 16. Jesus multiplied fish and bread and he said, I am the bread of heaven. That manna, that manna was a picture of me. I was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. I was laid in a feeder, a manger. The word means to eat as the bread of life that gives my body for the life of the world. Brothers, the manna was about Jesus. The rock smitten with the water flowing was Jesus. The lamb at Passover, it's Jesus, my Jewish brothers. I got another one. Jesus himself quoted the passage in Numbers where it said the people were bitten by venomous snakes. They're all complaining. They're all dying. Moses is commanded by God. The bronze serpent is is a form of a curse. Bronze judgment. Jesus was like the curse of sin. Judged by God. And Jesus told Nicodemus, my Jewish brothers, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness that anybody who looked at that just believed, if I just look at that, I'll be saved, I'll be healed from this venomous snake bite. He says, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so too the Son of God must be lifted up on a pole, on a cross, that all who look to him shall not perish but have everlasting life. My Jewish brothers, it's everywhere. You can't go anywhere in the scriptures without seeing Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's everywhere. 300 prophecies, but that's for the evening service. 300 prophecies. There's one more. As the Son of Man is lifted up, anyone who looks, just look to me, ends of the earth, and be saved. How hard is that? That's what it takes to look and say, that, that's going to save me. Nothing I can do, that's going to save me. I always point to my projection. The Lamb of God, the serpent on the pole, the rock that was crushed, and so many other things. I've got another one last one here. The waters that split my brothers. It's Christian baptism. The bread, the manna, the water, the bread, and the drink, the cup in the wilderness, communion, baptism. He's saying God just wanted to tell you in certain terms, don't miss this. Don't miss out. It's all over the place. So thank you for that picture. Listen. Now they had a very kosher meal. Now it's time for the evening service. And he just goes through maybe 10 or 20 of the 300 prophecies, just straight up prophecies. You know, he'll be born in Bethlehem, Micah 5.2. He'll suffer for our sins, Isaiah 53. Uh, They'll cast lots for his clothes, Psalm 22. He'll be crucified. David doesn't know what crucified means. And David says in Psalm 22, they piercing hands and feet. My brothers, 300 of these prophecies. Come on, man. The pictures, the types, Jesus and Genesis. Some go, some say, he's the one. I'm convinced. And the others were like, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 this is bad news for me. Bad news for my sins. Bad news for my control of my own life. Bad news for my job. I can't keep doing the things I'm doing. This is bad news. It's true, it's true, it's true, but no, I'm not going to believe. And that's where Paul goes like this. Oh, to those who are saying, we don't buy this, arguing with their hands. I can just see it here. Paul says, I got one other scripture in the Old Testament that is speaking of you right now. And he quotes Isaiah 6, 9 and 10. And he reads it to them as they're walking out the door. And and let me paraphrase it for you. He gets up and he says, hey, remember what the Holy Spirit said through Isaiah. First notice that he's attributing the Holy Spirit 
to writing Isaiah. That's interesting. Warn these people how terrible to have eyes but not be able to see the truth and to have ears but not be able to hear the voice of your maker. Your heart is stubborn and you've closed your eyes deliberately on purpose. Otherwise, you could, be, you could easily see what I'm doing and clearly hear my voice calling and your heart would understand and, and I would in turn make you whole. That's how he ends. And it gets a little intense, and it's kind of a bummer to end the conference like that. But you know what? When in the ER, I love those ER shows. I watch them all the time. You like those shows? I do. When you, when you hear boo, people get crazy there. They start screaming and yelling and bringing crash carts, and they're turning up electricity, and clear, boom. You know, that was, in my estimation, when they've had an all-day seminar with the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul, and all those scriptures to say, you know what? No, we're keeping my old life. Paul takes the paddles out. Clear. (laughs) Isaiah 6, buddy. You got eyes. The more you say no to truth, the harder it will be to get you back. And you'll go your whole life with perfectly working eyes, perfectly working ears, and perfectly blind and deaf to the thing that matters, to the thing that brings life, to the thing that makes heaven, heaven, the, the road to get to heaven. And so by not turning, I love what he does. He he gives an announcement or a jab, if you will. He says, therefore. I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. (laughs) And they have. (laughs) Look at the world. Christianity is not a Jewish thing. It's a Christian thing. It's a Gentile thing. However, it's truly ironic paradox. It's truly a Jewish thing. Now, it doesn't say God now has officially, at the close of the book of Acts, excluded the Jews. The point is, is is that the Gentiles will listen and the Jews have closed the door. Romans chapter 11, not forever. When the last Goy Gentile comes in, God brings the church home. The time of Jacob's trouble begins. Seven years, all about Israel, the end of the world. And God's time clock for his people starts ticking. The treaty is signed by the Antichrist to solve all their problems, and they receive him. And Jesus said in John chapter 5, me, you don't receive. Oh, someone's going to come. I come in my father's name, you shut me out, he says to the Jews. He says, someone's going to come with bright, shiny teeth, <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and everyone's going to love him. In him, you receive the Antichrist. And we know that story. But at the end of those seven years, Armageddon's happening, and Israel's about to be annihilated pretty much by the players that are talking now about annihilating them. They look up, and there's a Holy Spirit revival, and most of the nation turn to Christ And he returns with his church. And so it's not forever, but right now there's a veil. I remember talking to a Jew in Jerusalem, showing her Isaiah 53. She was our tour guide. She knew more about the Old Testament than I will ever know. Can we just read this together? And we read Isaiah 53. It just so Jesus suffering, the Messiah. And being raised from the dead. And and she just said, no, we just think that's Israel. How how did... Paul said, there's a veil. There's a veil over... It's not their time right now. A few Jews get saved. But the majority, there's a veil over them. So how does it end? It ends with triumph. It says, the last thing, I love it. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house... And welcomed all who came to see him, 
boldly and without hindrance. He preaches the God, kingdom of God and taught with, about the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, okay, listen. My question and yours is what happened with Nero, right? Are you interested in what happened to Nero? <laughs> All right. Um, he's not, Luke knows, but he's not telling because it's not about that. It's about boldly and as conquerors enjoying the grace of God and bringing the gospel to the world because he wanted it to end and look at Paul. He's in chains, but the word of God isn't chained. And boldly and unhindered, the word is unchained, but he's chained. So God, the, the, the Lord ends the book of Acts by saying, there's no prison that you're in. There's no chain on your wrist. There's no circumstance that can defeat you. There's nothing that can stop God in his plan in you and through you to reach this world because God's plan is unstoppable. His people are more than conquerors. His grace, unbeatable. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your great love. And now as we go our way, we just pray that the just that the, the beauty and the triumph of you using all things to work together for good, taking all of Paul's hardships and doing something beautiful, we know you're doing the same thing with us and that no matter what our circumstances, we can say it's actually gone on to... Um, to be a benefit to the gospel, to advance the kingdom of God, to be a blessing to us and to those around us. We thank you for the book of Acts, and we ask your blessing, Lord, on all that we've learned in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Book of Acts, done. You know where we're going next time? I'll tell you next week. God bless you. (laughs) You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.